Thank you, Alan. You know, this um, men's retreat meeting this Tuesday, we've got corned beef and cabbage. And I get it, some guys may not be corned beef kind of guys, you know, or cabbage kind of guys. And so I had someone say, can I bring pizza? Well, yeah, if you want to bring burgers and brats, you can bring that as well. But we're going to have corned beef and cabbage. And so for those of us who really enjoy that, we'll, we will get an opportunity. Um, let's, uh, let's start off with a, uh, a prayer before we get rolling this morning. Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for this church, uh, this community in which we live and, and, and we're a part of. Father, for the grace that you have bestowed upon us as we come before you and, and we ask your blessing so that we can be in turn a blessing to those around us and uh, share Christ. Father, would you open your word to us today that it might speak in us and to us and Father, eventually even through us so that people will know Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Romans, chapter 11. We're going to kind of go through that middle section, verses uh, 16 through 24. It's what we'll dig into today. Um, there are a lot of trees in our world, and some of them are very old. Generally recognized as probably the oldest trees in the world that are living today are at the Grand Basin Bristol Cone Pines uh, in the White Mountains on the border between California and Nevada. One of those trees is called Methuselah. Now, that's a biblical name because that was the oldest man who ever lived in uh, the world. He lived to be 969 years and he died the year of the flood. So he may still be living had he not died back then. But anyway, he didn't die in the flood, but the year of the flood. Now this tree, Methuselah, which is a, a Bristol cone pine, is said to be, I did some research on it this week, 4,853 years old. Wow, you know, <laughs> I thought my hair was graying, right? Uh, this, this tree, according to the, the tree ring data, that they've been able to uh, determine that it is possibly the oldest living thing on earth. Now that's surprising. When you look at it, it doesn't look very old, uh, living, does it? But it's still alive. All right. Around 4,000 years ago, God planted another tree. A tree that is still growing today, and we recognize it as the church. Now, it didn't start out as the church. It started out a little bit different than that, and it developed into the church. It actually started out with one man, Abram. And God entered into a relationship with, with Abraham. And, and, and through him and his physical descendants, this tree that God has planted has grown. And, 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 it, and it sprouted 12 huge branches. And then off of those branches, millions of little branches through the years. And then eventually, about 2,000 years ago, that tree mutated. A hybridation took place within it. And it wasn't by natural causes, but by God's design and divine intervention that that tree changed. And what changed 
was the population of smaller branches on that tree. Um, and it's kind of this hybrid tree as a result of that. Its native branches have been radically pruned. Now, not all of them, but a lot of them were, were snipped off, all right? They were broken off. And, and then there were other branches that have been grafted in. And so this tree has changed a little bit over the past 2,000 years. And so from the natural branches that were there, then some, some wild branches were brought in and, and put to this tree. And, and, and it is going uh, and, and growing in a positive way ever since that transformation. Now, in our passage this morning, Paul is going to talk to us about this tree, about how this really took place. All right, And he's using this metaphor of an olive tree to teach us about the place and the relationship of the Jewish people when it comes to his eternal plan. Now this creates a whole lot of questions that are being asked today. Does Israel as a nation still have a place in God's plan? I mean, does, does God have a special way for Jews to be saved? Does, uh, has the church replaced Israel as God's people? I mean, we look at this and we, we wonder, is biblical prophecy being fulfilled by modern day Israel today? Will there be this mass conversion of the Jews that's going to usher in the, the second coming of Christ? And, and, and so these questions, they can be answered when we look at this passage here in Romans chapter 11 as to what is God's design. So as we begin, I think the first thing we need to do is take a look at the root of this tree and it's the root of this tree really is Old Testament Israel that is the foundation in it so last week we left off at Romans eleven sixteen. so let's pick it up right there and we'll move forward he begins by saying if the dough offered as first fruits is holy so is the whole lump and here we go and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. You see, the tree as such stands for the people of God. And they were separated from the pagans within this world. Um, and in essence, that's what Paul is saying here at the very beginning in verse 16, of being holy. It means to be set apart, to be designated as different from that which is in this world. And so he's saying that this tree, this root, this whole thing is, is something that's unique in and of itself. And it's separate from the things of this world. Now, in the Old Covenant era, that, that separation stood for God's people from the rest of the world. So it was just the descendants of Abraham who were classified as holy, as separated for him. All right? That, that name Israel actually means he who contends with God or he who wrestles with God. And it ultimately means 
Um, he who is triumphant with God. All right? The people of Israel, obviously, through their history, they wrestled and they contended with God, and ultimately they are victorious with God because of this relationship he has. Now, that's the Old Covenant era. We don't live there anymore. We live in a New Covenant area that was established by Jesus, all right? And so God has then transformed this covenant into something that is different, and this tree is no longer the same. And so we refer to it now as the church, or we're called as well, ecclesia, the called out ones. We've been called to be different from the world. And God has been working throughout history, making preparation for something. And, and, and that preparation, that foundation, or that root, was the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. We see that. The church itself has now become that full-grown tree in which he planted all those years ago. All right, And God planted that tree in about 2,000 years of his dealings with Abraham and with the people of Israel. And that starts there in Genesis 12. And you can begin to read how he just interweaves his life and his story through their, their family all the way down to Jesus Christ. And so nearly 2,000 years of Old Testament history, God has nurtured and he has tended that tree and, and especially its root because the root is what somehow provides the life and the sustenance of everything that's above. So, if we think about it this way, the tree's roots, they're not an end and of themselves. Something has to happen, right? It, the tree doesn't just stay underground, all right? It, it produces something. And so, this tree isn't an end in and of itself, but it is a means to an end. And so, what the root serves, a particular purpose, is for the trunk to grow and the branches to sprout. And eventually, there are going to be leaves and fruit that that tree should bear, all right? So, let's look at the purpose and the turning point of God's tree, which resulted in this radical mutation which occurred when Jesus came into this world at His first coming. Okay, The whole point and purpose of Israel's existence as a special nation may be summed up in just one word, preparation. God was using Israel to prepare the world for something. All right, so once Christ came, there's no longer a, a reason then for the purpose of Israel to exist as a nation with a special plan because they have fulfilled their purpose. They, it has produced the fruit that it was supposed to produce. So therefore, Scripture tells us that God brought an end to Israel's special purpose and their role. And that was symbolized in Matthew chapter 27 as Jesus is upon the cross and as he breathes his last and dies. Something radically takes place in Jerusalem. And it's huge significance. So let's read Matthew 27 verse 50 and 51. Jesus cried out again and with a loud voice 
and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. What has happened is their ability to enter into the holy place of God, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant would be and where God's presence would be and they would offer up the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the world was now opened up and it was gone, it was destroyed. All right? They no longer need to offer sacrifices. And Hebrews is going to tell us because Jesus is our sacrifice. Once and for all, there's no need to, to offer up bulls and goats for our sins of humanity, because He Himself offered up His life. There's no need. So all of a sudden, things have radically changed in the way that we relate to God. And that took place at His death. Now, even though Israel's role came to an end was, in essence, a judgment upon the nation as their rejection of Jesus being their Messiah, eventually, God is going to destroy their means of sacrifice, in 70 AD, when Rome comes in and just destroys all of Jerusalem and tears the temple down brick by brick, stone by stone, and it has never been built for sacrifice since. Now, in reference to God's tree and the coming of Jesus, changing the whole character of that tree, His coming didn't do away with the tree. It transforms it. That's what Paul's going to tell us, okay? It's, it's not, he doesn't yank it up by the roots and throw it away. He leaves the root there because this is all part of God's plan. And it doesn't just go back to Abraham. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve that something is going to happen. And so he's planted this seed to grow for us. Now, if we go back into Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God informs Abram what this plan is all about. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now, here's the key. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right? All the families, not just his family, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul then communicates this to the church in Ephesus as he writes them their letter in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written already briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known, which was not made known to the sons in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now stop a second. He's saying, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. And God has revealed that to us in this generation. And you're getting in on the update of what is happening in his plan, which everybody who before they had no clue, it was hidden from them. All the sons of Abraham, all their descendants, 
they weren't focusing on this radical change that was going to take place. It's a mystery to them. And so he says, this mystery is what? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body or members of the same tree, so to speak, and they are partakers in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Now, this gospel, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. Now, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God, who created all things. What is it? So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This, he says, was according to his eternal purpose, right? that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through him, our faith in him. So this whole thing that Paul says was a mystery to everybody in the past. They didn't quite understand that God was going to open up an opportunity for the world to come into a relationship with him and that they might be holy as the nation of Israel was holy. And this wasn't revealed until Jesus Christ came. Which is what made them mad at Jesus because he was telling them that the Gentiles had an opportunity. They didn't like that. And so the scribes and Pharisees, they would get mad at him and they would find ways that they could, they could figure out how they could stop him from preaching this news. All right, well, the key to being God's special people is no longer that I am a descendant of Abraham. The key to being God's special people, Paul has been telling us, isn't about my heritage of birth and nationality. The key to being a part of God's plan is by faith and that faith in Jesus Christ. And whoever puts faith in Jesus as Messiah becomes a part of God's tree. Whether they're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter. So Paul's going to explain this here in verses 17 through 22, that how the coming of Jesus transformed this whole tree. So let's look at that. Verse 17 through 22. Some of the branches were broken off. And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now you share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not become arrogant toward the branches, if you are remember. It's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided 
you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. All right. Paul's going to refer to these branches later in verse 24. He's going to refer to these branches as, quote, natural branches. That's Israel. Those are the Jews. And wild branches. And that's us. Anybody who's not Jewish. All right? So the first stage of this transformation in this tree is the breaking off of some of its natural branches. He's going to prune them. And the ones that he cuts off are those who are Jewish people that do not believe that Jesus is Messiah. So if, if they're not in agreement with that, they're no longer a part of the tree. Now the second stage, it's just the opposite of pruning. It is grafting. And so he is going to then take and he's going to graft in other branches from a wild olive tree and put it on this cultivated, domesticated olive tree, all right, that he has provided. And he's going to graft them in. Therefore, they're going to get their sustenance from that root now and they're going to grow and they're going to thrive and they're going to produce fruit, all right. So these grafted branches, those are the Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus. That's you and me. That's why we're here. We've been grafted in. All right. So these grafted branches, we owe our existence to the root of that tree. Romans eleven eighteen tells us, don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. All right. So it's because of them we get an opportunity to have a relationship with Christ and our sins forgiven. So let's not be too arrogant about the Jews, especially those who have uh, been cut off. Because had they not been cut off, you probably would not be grafted in, right? So he says, basically, when a Gentile becomes a Christian they immediately begin to draw up all the spiritual blessings that were made possible by the 2,000 years of history of the Jewish people, blessings that are naturally theirs to inherit. That's their inheritance, all right? And the Jews who accept Jesus as Messiah, they get their inheritance. But they're going to have to share it with us. So, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to who? Gentiles. It might come to us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now all of these branches, now in this new transformed tree, all these branches, both Jewish and Gentile branches, are now this new spiritual Israel, this new spiritual tree that is different than it was originally. But Paul, he's admonishing us as Gentiles not to feel boastful or arrogant or puffed up towards the Jewish branches because if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be where we are. And so he reminds us here in this, this little bit of a passage, we need to be careful because the same thing that happened to them can happen to us. If we don't continue to keep our faith in Jesus... He will prune us off. 
That's what, that's what he's telling us. So, Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ has transformed this tree which started out as the Jewish nation and has now become the church. And it is filled with branches of both Jews and Gentiles who have been grafted in. Now because the church is this new tree, the old tree doesn't exist any longer. It's been changed. So let's look at the present form of God's tree, which is <clears throat> the church. The church, we know, is to be those who are believing Jews and believing Gentiles. They become God's new Israel. Now the old physical nation of Israel is but the root of that tree. And it's a glorious root because of everything that has come because of the relationship they had with God that we now get these blessings. And so Paul says back in chapter 9 of Romans, verse 4 and 5, he said, they're all Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh Jesus is the Christ, who's God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So there's something special about the Jewish people, yes, because through them and through the, the root system of who they are, we've received blessing. They, they've had a lot of wonderful things that have come upon them because God has loved them dearly. But the church is this new Israel, and it's formed on the spiritual basis of faith in Jesus and a, and a spiritual new birth because we now have a new root in which we're going to grow and we're going to receive our sustenance by being grafted into them. So John 1, as he's writing this biography about Jesus, the Apostle John, in the very first chapter, verse 12 and 13, he says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood. In other words, you're a child of God, not because you've got Abraham as a forefather. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but you're a child of God now because God chose you. Galatians, Paul tells us in chapter 3, verse 9, 29, he says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. If we are in Christ, we now become Israel. You see? We are, we are his offspring, not by natural descent, but by faith, because it was the faith of Abraham that was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his actions. It wasn't his, his physical makeup. It was what he believed about God. And when we believe about God the same thing he believed about God, we become children of God and heirs and, and descendants of Abraham by faith. This is all according to the promise that he has given us. Now many Old Testament prophecies about Israel, they have been and they are being fulfilled by this new Israel. I want to take just one. Let's go back to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31. In, in verse 31 to 34, he's going to explain to Jeremiah how he is going to create a whole new relationship, a whole new covenant with people. Because Jeremiah is living under the old covenant 
that God had made with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, and with Moses. All right? But he's telling Jeremiah, I'm going to start something different. Listen to what he says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? The tree of Israel, the house of Israel, right? And the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, they broke. All right, you see that? Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for <laughs> they shall all know me, from the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now the author of Hebrews, in his letter, chapter 8, verse 13, makes a statement about this new covenant. So he says, in speaking of this new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old he says, is ready to vanish away. So it's not about the old covenant any longer, that Israel is his people. He's made a new covenant. It's no longer written on stone tablets, but it's written upon the hearts of those who will believe. And this new covenant is for all people, not just the Jewish nation. So what about the Jewish nation, the ethnic Jews? I mean... Modern-day physical Israel, individually, collectively, geographically, however you want to put it, they are not God's tree any longer. It's not about the nation because they have fulfilled their purpose of being a nation, a people, separated from the rest of the world. Their purpose was fulfilled when the fruit of that tree was produced and plucked. And it was Jesus Christ, all right? However, individual Jews converted, we may call them Messianic Jews or whatever you want, want to label them, those Jews who put their faith in Jesus, they now are part of this tree as it's transforming into the church. Unbelieving Jews, they have been cut off from that tree and they are in no sense special people to God. They're part of these broken off branches that Paul is speaking about here in Romans 11. Yet we have to ask, does God have a place and a purpose for physical Israel today or, or maybe in the future? Is there something about this nation of Israel that God has a specific, specific design for yet? Well, I'm going to say no. Not as a nation, all right? Not as a, a separate tree, because if they don't put their faith in Jesus, they're broken off. Now, those, those branches, they think they may be grafted together, but they're not a part of the root any longer, see? 
Israel's role in God's plan was completed when Jesus Christ came into this world. And God's covenant with Israel was fulfilled. That's why there's a new covenant. Right? But then, does he have a purpose for them? Yes, he does. Individually, he has a purpose for them. He desires that all the Jewish people would rejoin the root of that tree and be a part of this grafted-in, transformed tree, the church. Listen to what he says here in Romans eleven twenty three and 24. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. You see, how does this happen? That how can they be grafted back into this tree that they were originally a part of? Well, he tells us simply by turning away from their unbelief. If they will simply believe that Jesus is their Messiah who came from them, through them, and for them. You see, if if they want to be saved, if any Jew wants to be saved, they can by believing in Jesus. And God's saving grace will be applied to them, and, and, and He will graft them into this new transformed tree. All right? This is the whole point that Paul is making here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and especially here in chapter 11. Now there's a key word in verse 26, which we haven't looked at yet. The key word is utos. Utos, it's translated, and in this way. And it's referring to what has taken place. And so he says, and in this way, by their faith, by their no longer not believing in Jesus, he says, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. In other words, Jesus is coming into Zion, which is the great city of God, and the people of Israel. But he's coming to banish those who will not believe in him from Israel. That's who Jacob is. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, all right? So his descendants are from then on referred to as Israelites. So by becoming a part of God's one tree, the church, all true Israelites will be saved. But there's no other way. They can't start their own other tree. They have to be grafted back into the tree and the root system of faith. That's the only way. Remember, this tree was planted when God called Abraham to be the founding father of the Jewish nation for the purpose of what? Bringing Messiah into the world. All right? At the beginning, this tree was the Jewish nation. During the Old Covenant era, from Abraham to the coming of Christ, God was was nurturing and He was tending and He was caring for 
this one tree. And matter of fact, even during that period, he was even pruning that tree because there were people who were still not putting their faith in him and in the purpose of them even being a nation. Most of his tension, however, was directed in the Old Testament scriptures towards the people of Israel. And the Gentiles, they were mostly ignored. Right? But listen what Paul says about this ignorance. Book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 30, when he's talking and trying to explain where, where God has, has created us and, and for what purpose. He says, the times of ignorance got overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, there was a time when God just simply ignored the rest of the world as he focused on Israel. And he used the rest of the world to to provide for Israel, to punish Israel, to interact with Israel in ways that would fulfill his purposes. But his focus was on Israel. And now Paul's saying the time of ignorance it, it's, it's gone. Because his desire now is that all people everywhere, it doesn't matter where they are, that they should repent and come into a relationship with him. The branches on this tree represent individual Jews, but in that era there was no distinction between those Jews, whether they were saved by faith in him or they were unsaved Jews. It didn't matter. They were just branches on that tree. But God's purpose for planting the tree was not to provide salvation for individual Jews. You see, most Jews, in fact, were not saved. You look at their history, and often they would worship other gods, and they would forsake God, and they would break the covenant that he had made with them, and they would do their own thing and, and, and curse God. And, and, but, but there was always, as Paul told us, there was always a remnant one point, Elijah thought he was the only remnant. And God said, no, nah, I've got 7,000 men who've not bowed a knee to Baal. You're not the only one. There's people. I always have people that are faithful to me. So what was the purpose of planting this tree and nurturing it for about 2,000 years? As I said already, that tree was planted to produce one piece of fruit. Jesus. And, and when the fullness of time came and that, 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 that branch blossomed and, and produced the fruit that was then plucked and the purpose of that fruit was to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that's Jesus, all right? And then through his redemptive work, he provides salvation for every one of us. Now, God does have a special interest in the Jews because of their unique role in Old Testament times, but He has a special role for them as a nation now. All right? he, he wants them to be saved. He wants them to believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, individually to be connected in their own original, natural, transformed tree now. And once that fruit Jesus was produced, the tree's very essence changed its purpose. No longer to bring him into the world to produce that one fruit, 
But Jesus has transformed that tree and converts it into something else. It's a new kind of tree. And that tree, from the coming of Christ and, and, and the day of Pentecost, 50 days after he died and rose again, that tree has now become a salvation tree. And all who are a part of that tree as branches, whether a natural branch or a grafted in branch, it's for their salvation. The tree is no longer a Jewish tree whose branches are only Jews. In fact, the Jewish branches who refuse to believe in Jesus, they're the ones that are broken off and thrown away. All right? And their unsaved status is made very clear here by Paul. They no longer have a part in God's plan. But also, the tree is no longer Jewish, limited to just Jewish branches. Now it's any, any, any non-Jew, any Gentile who obeys the gospel and gives their heart to Christ, they then are grafted in alongside the saved Jews as well. So what is this one tree now? Paul is telling us that this one tree, it's not a Jewish tree, it's not a Gentile tree, it is a Christian tree. It is the body of Christ. And it's called the church. Paul says in Ephesians 4.4, there is one body. In other words, there is one tree. And there is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Now that one hope whether you be Jew or Gentile, is to be a part of that one tree, the church. My question then is to each one of us. Have you been grafted in? I mean, have you put your faith in Jesus and that He then has attached you to the root that brings salvation? Because... There is no other root system out there that's going to offer that to you. Now, it, it may produce fruit, but the fruit that it produces is not godly fruit. And we can tell by which fruit tree we are attached to. Galatians 5. The fruit of this tree, of this spirit, is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And if you are not displaying those fruit character traits in your life, I'd begin to question, what tree have I been grafted into? Because that's the fruit that you bear when you're a part of his tree. And he only has one tree. And it only bears good fruit. So where are you grafted? Let's pray. Father, we look through your word and we discover that through history you have been working and moving and relating to people just like Abram. 
and establishing through him the fulfillment of the purpose of bringing this one who would come into the world who would crush the head of Satan and who would defeat sin and death and restore us into that paradise relationship where you will walk with us. And Father, we don't have to hide in fear or shame because we're naked because of our sin. But Father, that because of what you have done for us in Jesus, he has removed that. He has cleansed us from a guilty heart and he has sprinkled his love within us. Father, thank you for the process of grafting and that the root system of salvation is made available to even us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.